0: So in COVID-19 news, there's a worrying new variant in New York and the death toll has now exceeded 2.5 million. Our regular commentator, Cambridge University consultant, clinical virologist, Dr Chris Smith, is with us once again. Hi,
1: welcome, Chris. Hello, Kim. Good to be back.
0: Good to talk to you. Somebody has uh, texted me to say 2.5 million doesn't seem very many given the number of ways we can die in the world. What do you say to that?
1: Uh, If you recall last year, I did point out that each year the flu takes away, uh, in a normal year, this is not a normal year, up to three quarters of a million people around the world. And flu has been doing this, unlike Covid, which has done this once, every year for tens, hundreds, possibly thousands of years. And so in the grand scheme of things, the loss of life owing to Covid is actually quite small compared with many other infectious diseases so it is important to keep it in perspective.
0: Are you I mean are you saying we're overreacting?
1: To a certain extent yes um, but not unreasonably because we didn't know what we were dealing with when we saw this onslaught and I think what we now have done is have learned a lot about the new coronavirus. We've learned who's at risk and we've also learned how to mitigate it we now have the tools to do that so now is the point at which we begin to rebuild our confidence and go forward opening things up again knowing that we can protect people that need to be protected and the reason i'm saying that, the reason i feel more optimistic about this this week is because i had a chat about two days ago to researchers at the university of edinburgh and also at the University of Cambridge. And the team in Edinburgh have looked at 1.4 million people in Scotland who've been vaccinated. They're just about to publish this work. And they followed up a group of people who had been vaccinated and compared them with people who were yet to be vaccinated and looked at the rates of severe disease that occurred in that group. And they found that the Pfizer vaccine and also the AstraZeneca vaccine were about 90 or more percent effective at preventing severe disease in these elderly people that they were studying and at the same time researchers at the University of Cambridge have this week been able to show that if you follow up people who are asymptomatic because one of the other big concerns about these vaccines is well do they prevent people from actually catching the infection and being able to pass it on to others they've been able to show that if you vaccinate people of of any age actually the rate at which they get asymptomatically infected is fourfold lower than in unvaccinated individuals. So this means that we've now got an inroad into controlling this virus, both in terms of its dramatic effect on the most vulnerable individuals, but also its ability to spread amongst people who are not themselves particularly vulnerable, but could give it to somebody who is.
0: Why are so many Europeans refusing the AstraZeneca vaccination, Chris?
1: Foremost among them, Angela Merkel, That's the headline today. She said no thanks to AstraZeneca's vaccine. I'm quite frankly gobsmacked, actually. And we, we, you know, many of us in the the business cannot believe the stance that uh, is playing out across Europe. This is literally fiddling while Rome is burning. And it's a terrible waste, and it's a terrible waste of time. And one worries that these people are really going to rue the day that uh, they've gone down this road, because particularly when faced with data like but that why? presented why by have the they University of Edinburgh, we don't know. And it's very interesting that the European Medicines Agency, the EMA, have actually approved Astrazeneca's vaccine. Some countries, Germany, France, have said, "Well, we don't have enough data on older individuals," so. We won't, uh, we won't approve its use for that, but the European Medicines Agency has, so it could be used in those countries. It's just locally they've made uh, advice or given out advice they're not going to do that. And Emmanuel Macron, that well-known virologist and authority on all things medical, turned around and said, the AstraZeneca now, now, vaccine now. is um, is quasi-useless. And, uh, and as a result, uh, this has done enormous damage to the reputation of that vaccine, both across the European Union but also in Britain because we've had a number of people quite a few people who've, who've become quite sceptical quite concerned in older age brackets but as I say this this data we're seeing both from Israel and also from Scotland shows very very good effectiveness of uh, both the Pfizer vaccine and AstraZeneca's vaccine which is really encouraging and actually shows that I think the the Europeans who are going down this road are making a very bad mistake because when you've got vaccines and you've got a pandemic you don't waste them.
0: Talking about the Pfizer vaccine, I see a new study in the UK says a single dose of the Pfizer vaccine cuts the number of infections and could reduce the risk of transmission. Single dose, does that imply that maybe we don't need to go for the next one?
1: We don't know at the moment, Kim, and this is a very interesting question. There's two things to consider here. There are people who've never been vaccinated. There are also people who have had coronavirus and whom are currently being encouraged to seek vaccination because currently we are advising everybody, regardless of prior coronavirus status, to go and get vaccinated to top up your immunity. It may be, though, that people who've already got that immune memory established from having encountered the virus for real only need one dose to push themselves up to quite a high status of immunity. And that's being actively explored at the moment. It may well be that people who turn out to have a positive coronavirus history will go down the route of having just one dose. The current guidance is that the UK government, having widened the gap between the first and the second dose, and they did that on intuition rather than data, they took some flack for doing it, but actually it's turned out to be really spot on in terms of the right way to do this and and other countries are looking to this and, and probably going to follow this lead now but that actually shows that most of the heavy lifting most of the defense you get against coronavirus is conferred by that first dose and then you top it up build more resilience make it a bit more robust with the second dose but and there is a bit of a but it may well be that some sectors of society do need both doses and do need them closer together And at the moment, we're still trying to pursue this. But we've got some initial data showing that some people, particularly older people, might need both doses to really consolidate and and strengthen, fortify their immune response. This is with Pfizer's vaccine. AstraZeneca's vaccine, there's some evidence that actually the longer you wait between doses, the more robust the response is to start with. So at the moment, we're going down the path of saying we're going to give everyone two doses. We're going to give everyone two doses at about 12 weeks apart. About 700,000 people have already had two doses and this week we'll go across the 20 million mark where 20 million, almost a third of the UK adult population will have been vaccinated. I mean, that's an outstanding achievement for the people who are running that programme.
0: A listener asks, Chris, whether there is not an antibody test that people could take before taking the vaccine to inform them as to whether the vaccine will be of any further help to them.
1: Such tests do exist and... There are antibody tests to tell whether you have had the infection or whether you have got immunity possibly conferred by the vaccine. Now, the reason for that distinction is that the antibody tests that will tell you if you've had the infection look for antibodies that have been made against parts of the virus that are not present in the vaccine. So if you've got those antibodies, you can Uh say, well, I've had the infection. If you've got antibodies against just the spike of the virus that's what we're using to drive immunity with vaccine so that could confirm yes you've been vaccinated you'd have to do one of the other tests to also show that you didn't have the antibodies against the other bits of the virus and then by a process of elimination you could prove who is immune because they had the infection for real who is immune because they've been vaccinated what we we don't want to do at the moment is to say well okay let's have Offer everyone a test because then you've got the enormous administrative headache, the interpretative headache and the risk through doing that because you might miss cases. You've also got to administer all of this and it's really expensive. These antibody tests need to be done in proper high-end laboratories, properly quality controlled and quality assured. This is not trivial. Much safer, much faster, much more agile is just to say to people, Everyone gets vaccinated regardless of COVID past exposure because that way we know it's going to work and it's going to work quickly.
0: What do we know about the New York variant, Chris?
1: Well, we know its name, B1.526. This They always give these things exciting names. I mean, we've got B117 here in the UK, which is yes. our Kent variant, and that's emphasis on Kent rather than any other uh, spelling of the word. But they really are a headache, Thanks. these things. Yep. They emerged um, in the case of New York in November and initially, like our Kent variant, appeared as a blip on the radar. Just looking retrospectively, we could see that there was this thing drifting around in the weeds. But very quickly, by December in the UK, our Kent variant had become the dominant circulating strain. They've done a similar sort of retrospective analysis on this New York variant, B1.526, which started off as small numbers, a smattering of cases, and by February had eclipsed most of the cases 27 30 percent of the diagnoses were now being made by this made of this new variant it's got a couple of changes in it that have got virologists and doctors a bit exercised one of those changes is called e484k and the other one is called s477n just to decode this for everybody that is geneticists speak for at position 484 in the protein that you're making or the in the how the genome makes the bits of the virus it's swapped one amino acid an e for another amino acid a k in and and if you look at where 484 is and 477 those positions they correspond to the spike on the virus so these changes are changing the outer part of the virus that it uses to infect our cells and which we make immunity against either because we catch the virus or because we have a vaccine and Those changes, including that E484K, that's present in both the South Africa variant, the Brazil variant, and in the UK we've had a variant of our variant. So we've got some of the 484K cropping up as well in the UK. And why people worry about it is because it changes the shape of the outer coat of the virus, which we make antibodies against to try to defend ourselves, that change can be sufficient to depower the immunity you get from vaccination in some cases. So this could therefore be a first step of the virus in New York to sidestep some of the immunity conferred by vaccination. But at the moment, as far as we can tell, the severity of the illness that these variants are causing isn't markedly greater than the parent strain of coronavirus.
0: But even without the variants, we don't know how long the vaccinations are going to confer immunity
1: hit the nail on the head we don't that's right and that's the experiment that is being done naturally at the moment so at the moment we are vaccinating lots of people following up aggressively to see who does and who doesn't catch the virus having been vaccinated i myself have unfortunately cared for patients who have caught the infection having had both doses of the vaccine showing that some people are still slipping through the net Um, but what we don't know yet is the people who don't slip through the net do make a good immune response how long will that persist for how long will they be protected because that will inform what we're going to do about possible booster programs come the winter time because what we know is sure as eggs is eggs come winter we'll be facing a number of threats because everything's gone quiet on the flu front but we must keep a weather eye on the flu front because there is a very real prospect that because both Australia, New Zealand, now the Northern Hemisphere have had very quiet flu seasons, what people are speculating is that the next flu season and possibly the one after that could be biggies because people haven't encountered flu for a considerable time. The virus has continued to evolve out where it lurks in in the wilds and when it does come back and does start circulating again, it will be markedly different to the immunity that we all did have and which we've all slowly seen decline because we haven't re-encountered flu for a while therefore lots of people will get it therefore lots of people will pass it on therefore lots of susceptible people could get it therefore there could be lots of cases so we're keeping a weather eye on the flu as well as on coronavirus with respect to, to topping up vaccines for both.
0: So any suggestion Chris that we can relax on the flu vaccination front Because of the low incidence of it, consequent upon COVID, that suggestion would be a wrong one, in your
1: view? In the long term, yes, absolutely. At the moment, we're keeping a close eye on flu. We're in, obviously, the middle of winter, coming out of winter here in the northern hemisphere. And we normally do a lot of surveillance. And by now, we would normally be seeing very high levels of flu across the country. We've got virtually nothing. And I looked at our own laboratories' results. We're still screening because when we get samples coming in, we take a look at them and, and just shove a proportion of them into the test algorithm that, that looks for flu. And we're not finding any. And this is because we're not importing the virus. No one's traveling. And and any cases of travellers who do come into the country who could have flu, because they're quarantined. It's not getting injected into society, so it just doesn't spread. And the other measures that we're using to control coronavirus are also controlling flu. Other countries have had exactly the same experience, but that that will change once we relax, once people go back to mixing again and travelling again. We'll offer those those corridors that flu exploits around the world to, to transmit between countries, and and it will be back.
0: Will we know what to what strain to vaccinate against if it is? so scarce
1: well the way in which flu vaccination programs work is that all around the world are thousands of laboratories in different countries which are collecting samples of diagnosed flu in their particular neighborhood and they transmit those samples to centralized laboratories who ultimately end up with the data being shared into a network of who top-tier laboratories in a number of countries around the world And representatives of those laboratories will meet regularly in order to scrutinise what the virus is doing, how flu is moving. And they will be asking the question, has this changed enough so that the protection conferred by the vaccine mix we are using would be sidestepped? And if the answer to that question becomes yes then they may take some of the samples that have been collected and use those to derive the next generation vaccine, which will then go into production. And it takes about six months to do that for the flu season anticipated in whatever territory is is coming next. Now, If there's no flu for us to keep an eye on, because no one's got any in their country, then obviously our surveillance network has got some holes in it now, because we don't have the usual spotlight trained on the virus to see and anticipate where it's moving to and where it's come from. So therefore, we're going to have to be a bit more agile and and make the most of what samples we do have, what we are seeing, and use our intuition, but it's not going to be perfect. And that's why scientists are saying that uh, the combination of people's immunity declining because they won't have encountered flu for a couple of years or more by the time it comes back plus the ongoing evolution of the flu means that there is a higher risk of a a big whammy in the years ahead and we won't know necessarily where it's going to come from or what it's going to look like because we won't have those samples to rely on uh, until the last minute which means um it's more difficult to prepare for certainly.
0: Yeah. Um, those patients you mentioned who had been vaccinated but nevertheless succumbed to COVID 19, did they have a milder version?
1: Uh, regrettably not. I mean, one of them actually died, and um, I was investigating that case because I was very worried that uh, this individual may have had what we call vaccine bypass, as in the virus has mutated or changed and they had some kind of uh, vaccine resistant variant. And so we checked, we actually got the virus samples that caused that person to die. And we sequenced the entire genome end to end and were able to identify that it was just the new variant, the Kent variant, uh, UK variant, which was spreading a lot downstream of Christmas. And there was nothing special about that virus in this older person who was in their 80s. It must have just been that the vaccine, even though they'd had two doses of Pfizer's vaccine more than a month before they got infected, was just not producing enough of a response in that person. Because remember, the stated efficacy is about 95%, which means someone's got to be in that 5% of people who don't derive protection. And unfortunately for this person, they they weren't um, protected. The other person just got very ill and ended up in hospital, but I understand uh, is getting better now.
0: Very good to talk to you, Chris. Always more questions than we can deal with, but uh, uh, you will be back, uh, I hope. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Kim, this morning, much. Dr. Chris Smith, virologist at Cambridge University.